talk a lot about sustainability on our plates on this show. Organic food and agriculture as the foundation for social and environmental justice. But of course, the conversation about how to create true sustainability on this planet includes all aspects of human life. Today, it's about sustainable fashion. Sustainable fashion, a beautiful idea for fabric waste. That's our topic here today on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. We're speaking with an expert about the fashion industry today, specifically about the insane amount of fabric waste created every day around the world and even in a city near you here in the United States. That expert, Angela Chow, has created an alternative, a true solution of what we can do about all this waste. And she will share her model with us today. And that is our topic, sustainable fashion, a beautiful idea for fabric waste. All that and more coming up in just a minute here today on An Organic Conversation. I'm your host, Helge Helberg, and this show is made possible by Bowman College, a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at one of their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentored distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or culinary arts, bowmancollege.org. And Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. The topic in this hour is sustainable fashion, or rather the completely unsustainable practices of the fashion and clothing industry. Sustainable fashion, a beautiful idea for fabric waste. And we are graced by Angela Chow, the founder and CEO of Adderley a working model out of San Francisco of what to do with all this insane fabric waste. She's joining us today here in the studio. Angela, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here to talk <laughs> about one of my favorite topics. Yes, so are we. Uh, we talk a lot about food, sustainability, agriculture, green alternatives, and fashion is one of those areas that is only now finally 
and in large part because of your work gaining the attention it deserves and it needs because it is a pretty significant crisis. To frame our conversation today, can you shed a little bit of light on w how big of a crisis are we looking at? What is, what's the deal with the fashion and fabric industry? Well, textile waste is one of the top five materials sent to landfills, and yet it is completely overlooked. If I were to give you an isolated answer to your question, we would just focus on numbers like, okay, there's over 15 million tons of textile waste that fills our landfills every year. And this is every year. That's actually a really conservative number. Tons, yeah. 15, 15 million. million tons. I'll give you what, like a, a visual in your mind of what that is equivalent to. That's like 22 billion pairs of jeans. Okay, <laughs> so if you can imagine this mountain of 22 billion pairs of jeans ending up in the landfill every year, or 7.5 million cars. We're talking about like the equivalency in volume, right? <laughs> Can you imagine that pile every year? And, and that number, 15 million tons is actually, I'm giving a very conservative number. Um, the EPA gave estimates that there were 13 million tons in 2010 and 14 million in 2012. So here we are in 2017. I got to guess that's probably closer to maybe 20 million, but we'll just stick with 15 million. Where, where is that coming from? Like who's producing all that? So this is from industries and consumers alike. If we were to look at San Francisco alone, 4,500 pounds of textile goes to the landfill every hour. And 50% of that volume comes from, from um, manufacturing. 50% and the other part of consumer meaning what? It's our clothing. It's, it's, the, it's the jeans we don't like anymore, the t-shirt we throw away. Exactly, or like exactly. What does it mean for the environment? It goes to the landfill, but what did it take to to produce that? Do you have ideas around that? Like, I, you know, it's a, it's cotton, or what materials are we talking about? Uh, I'd say over 50, 60% of the textile that we have out there are synthetic and not um, organic Natural like fibers. cotton. Yeah, uh -huh. And so this has huge implications for our environment, of course. But, you know, if we, if we just focus on what is the impact of textile waste and we just focus on the end of the cycle impact, like it going to the landfill, uh -huh. we understand that landfills aren't good. That's why a lot of us are embracing this zero waste initiative in San Francisco. So we stop sending things to the landfill. But I, I, I like to drive home the point how we really do need to stop sending things to landfills because landfills are the third largest source of methane gas which, of course, you know, methane is 20 times more potent than carbon dioxide in terms of trapping heat. And so this, this can't really be an option of sending textile to the landfills. Yeah. Um, but yes, and you have a very valid question. If we take a broader look at what this textile waste means, the fashion industry is so labor-intensive, and it's so energy-intensive, too. I mean, whether we take something that's handmade or made in a factory, clothing just takes a lot of time. It's actually handmade. Even if you're using a machine, you still need a skilled laborer sure. to make mm -hmm. it. But there's all this energy that's used to make that one object. So for instance, if I say, okay, well, there, there's about 22 billion jeans, pairs of jeans equivalency that's ending up in our landfill. Well, one pair of jeans takes 18,000 gallons of water to produce. One pair of jeans? Takes 18,000 gallons of water to produce. Where? How? Explain that to us. To produce that fiber, the cotton. 
cotton is a very water intensive crop. And, um, and, then you, and then we start talking about the human capital that's involved in making all of these products, right? We look at production overseas where, you know, the environmental laws aren't as stringent as in other places. And so then there's... there's or the social protection. Or, or the social protection, for sure. And we still have child laborers in other countries. Yeah. And, um, and then we have all of the pollution that's created from all the chemicals that go into producing all of these products, you know, the synthetic and even your natural fibers that, that go through the whole chemical process. Um, and... Now you're talking about not just the environmental impact, but you start talking about the the impact on human lives and the rate of cancers that are that are just skyrocketing in these places. And so there's a lot that goes into the 15 million plus tons of textile ends up in the landfill. It's a lot of waste. It's not just waste in very literal sense of it's ending. It's waste. It's being thrown away. But what happens? After that, when it's sitting in the landfill, we don't even know how long it'll take it actually for this material to break down. They have found newspapers completely intact and readable that were excavated 40 years after. Sure, and because so, nothing composes in a, or decomposes in a, in a landfill, really. Um, exactly. Interesting, we don't, when, you know, with food waste, that conversation is now clear. It takes energy to grow crops, and then we make food out of it, and then the food ends up in landfill. Same, same story. It creates methane. It could have fed somebody else. I don't think people know on that level yet or really are, are conscious about, yes, cotton heavily sprayed, one of the most heavily sprayed crops. If it's synthetic, it's basically a plastic, uh, non-natural material. So that's created out of plastic or plastic-like substances, chemicals. And then you're saying in the in the making of the fabric, you have an entire from dyes to, to other chemicals that are being used. Uh, we had a great documentary that looks at that problem, specifically that moment of production called River Blue, Uh, the the dying of genes alone uh, with that blue color turning rivers in Indonesia and many in China and many other parts India of the world into complete dead zones uh, and then that gets shipped somehow to us to the end consumer to the western world most often where we what use it one season one summer fashion is one of those funny or not really funny things that It is so short-lived, right? You buy a relatively sh expensive item, and the shelf life, so to say, of that of that style, if you really go with that style, changes at least once or twice a year, or at least from year to year. I now hear there there are more seasons that they added to fashion, like that every two months, kind of these huge department stores change their design and look and get you sucked into the next, you know, design trend. Well, actually, the, the move in fast fashion has been to actually go seasonless so that now you're, you're being inundated as a consumer with brand new product every day, every week. The acceleration has just, it's, it's gone out of control, actually. Yes. And so we wear it once or twice or maybe one summer. And, and then the idea is that there's so much newness already. And most people of us don't wear, I have a very small wardrobe and I still don't wear some items for months, right? You kind of grab the same shirt or pants that you like. Maybe I'm, I'm not a good example as a, as a man, but 
uh, it's really it's limited to three, four shirts or tops and two, three, four pants. I mean, how much can you really wear and what do you really need, right? And you can combine those. And those are my favorite items anyway. So half of my small closet I already don't use. I'm sure somebody who's <laughs> a bit more more fashion conscious uh, must have a, a greater wardrobe and still can't really use all of it or only uses it once or twice. What are the, the alarming or the, the trends that, that you have seen or heard of? How is fashion worn or used? Is that really a one-time item or five times or one year or one month? Uh, what's the life cycle of, of garments? Well, I, I read um, Elizabeth Klein's book, Overdressed, and she puts it so perfectly on the value of clothing now has been reduced to how long it'll last. And usually it's broken down into how long it'll last, how many washes it goes through. <laughs> so, you know, clothing, fast fashion production has basically fueled this um, consumer expectation that we pay the lowest price possible. And our expectation is that it's not going to be of high quality. So if it lasts three, four, five washes, that's good enough. And we've rationalized in our minds, it's okay if it falls apart after five washes because I've only paid $20, $15, $30 for that item. Interesting that the food or uh, that the fashion industry goes is going through the same cycle the food industry went through over several decades where we wanted cheaper and cheaper and cheaper food not realizing that we're losing nutrition and flavor and diversity and health with that uh, and environmental uh, resources that are being given into the process, being destroyed from water to soil, um, our ability to sequester carbon. The entire world that we now know so well of, of why we are buying organic food, it seems like now fashion is is exactly in a much faster way thrown into that understanding. Do you see that? Do you see that awareness is changing? I, I definitely, I always um, use food as the analogy oh. when I'm talking about mm -hmm. the fashion industry. I mean, and I and am just as equally passionate about the food industry. Um, I was buying organic when it wasn't even a cool thing and spending extra money on that because... It was I, always cool. It was all, yes, it was always cool. But when, it, okay, when it wasn't mainstream, yes. when it wasn't mainstream, was it, when it wasn't being sold in Walmart or Costco, fair, fair right? Enough. Yes. And, um, but I was paying extra for that because I understood the value yeah. in it. And, um, and I look at the same thing with fashion. So now we've like embraced this, um, the farm to table movement is very mainstream. I mean, everybody's heard of that, yeah. I believe. <laughs> and what we really need to wrap our minds around is to accept the this farm to closet, you know, the slow fashion. And I think it, it might get a little, I don't know if it's I don't know what the time frame is going to be for this paradigm shift, if it is, you know, parallel with the food, food mindset shift. Um, but it has to happen. You know, we, we, we're kind of out of time. And, and people like you dedicating, you know, your, your professional know-how to this to create a solution and documentaries like River Blue point to, I don't think we'll go through another 30 years of ambivalence around it as we did with food until Organic Now is kind of... The standard and it's the fastest growing segment of the food world and um, 
we had a show where we were talking that apple production in Washington, which was not an organic apple producing state, is now beyond 10% of the overall apple production. So it's clearly organic is here and uh, has established itself. I don't think we'll go through the same 30 years of learning around fashion. People are, you know, we're, we're quicker as we need to be quicker in understanding the cycles and life cycles and the consequences. Do you feel that, that there's now a, a, a ripple around fashion and interest in, in fashion to make it more sustainable overall? Like your audience, the people you are trying to address, media overall? I think what you pointed out is totally on point that it shouldn't take another 30 years. I think um, the food movement, the slow food movement, organic food movement has broken down the barriers for these, this kind of topic. Yeah. And so I think that shift will happen a little more quickly. I still do see fashion, sustainable fashion still um, at the margins. And um, there's a lot of room to grow, in other words. Yes. And and grow we will and this show will help with that and this show is an organic conversation and our topic is sustainable fashion a beautiful idea for fabric waste our guest today is angela chow the founder and ceo of utterly that's utterly u-t-t-e-r-l-y dot c-o out of san francisco and we will talk about what you've created angela right after the break because there are two fabric waste streams. One is uh, used fabric, fabric that we throw out, that we've worn once or twice or three times, and that ends up in the waste stream. And then there's new fabric. And you really focus in on new fabric. Why would that even end up in the waste stream? Yeah, great question. That was the question <laughs> I had when I stumbled on that statistic. Um, and really, when I when I learned that 95% of textile waste that ends up in the landfill is unnecessarily there, in other words, only 5% of textile waste is unrecoverable, and um, the rest could be recycled, reused, and then there was that percentage that is completely brand new, that's never been used. And you know, we, we live, we do live in a disposable society, which is completely antithetical to a sustainable uh, lifestyle. But when you learn about something that is completely brand new, that has never been used, that is, that goes beyond like my understanding of disposability that was just criminal to me. Cool. And we'll dive into that in just a minute. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. Again, sustainable fashion, a beautiful idea for fabric waste. And that idea we will look at in depth right after the break. To honor our underwriters, please stay tuned. We'll be right back with so much more. This show is brought to you by Equal Exchange, a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas, and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at equalexchange.coop. That's equalexchange.coop. And thank you also to Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. 
www.thinkdigital.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. Sustainable fashion, a beautiful idea for fabric waste, our focus in this hour. And I'm here in the studio with Angela Chow, the founder and CEO of Utterly, utterly.co, the website. And Angela, we talked about uh, right before the break, there are two waste streams, used clothing and brand new fabric. When we talk about these brand new fabrics where where does it come from how how is brand new fabric ending up in the landfill who's throwing it away so Amer apparel manufacturers will usually waste about 20 percent of their new textile in the production of clothing during the cutting process these aren't the bolt ends these are just the what we refer to in the industry as cut waste And the fashion industry is actually based on a very antiquated uh, methodology of production. And so companies have just been producing and cutting in a very wasteful way without really any change in all this time. And, um, and so I had discovered that there's all this brand new textile that is actually big enough to use. They're not little cutting, they're not cutting room scraps. Like inch pieces, no. No, 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 no. We're talking about large pieces. They could be from half a yard to a yard. Um, maybe they are cut so that it's not the entire width of, you know, 60 inches across, but there's still enough to basically seam together. Depending on your design, you could still use this fabric. So I thought, wow, what an incredible resource Sure. This, you know, we have this brand new textile that's never had a chance at having a life and it's being thrown away and it shouldn't be thrown away. And that is, you're talking about cutways. There's also brand new fashion. That is what? When a store realizes a week later there's new designs coming in, we have not sold all these shirts and whatever, so they're, they're just throwing it out? Yes. So that is legal. I mean, you yes, can. Yes, it is legal. As waste, that it's, seems it's legal, right? I mean, all you have to do is, as a manufacturer or as a business, you pay for your dumpster fees, and it's completely legal. You and they don't keep it in a storage for three months and then rebrand it as the next thing. Like it's just really they throw it out. Really, actually, what they the other thing they actually do that is horrific is they will actually shred brand new clothing or or overstock. Um, so that it doesn't get somehow out into worn. the into the market as you know to be resold or what have you, it's it's this it's the whole uh, phenomenon of fast fashion that you would fuels think it, it, it would it would it would be at least donated to people in need or maybe the 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 stream is way too big to do that but there's still people who can't clothe themselves around the world like I don't know it's just it, it seems obscene. Sure, it is obscene. Um, that's a whole nother topic, of course. When we, I mean, you know what? It really comes down to this to this basic fact that fast fashion has fueled this overproduction and overconsumption of this product that we all need, but we don't need that many. And um, and so you have this overstock of 
this inventory and because the fashions are changing out, the trends are changing out so quickly, and you have this huge amount of inventory and you know, then it gets shredded, it gets thrown away, or even if it gets donated, we have way too many clothes to donate, actually, to donate or to sell overseas, uh, mostly to Africa. It's actually, it's a problem all the way around. How did you get inspired? You're a social entrepreneur, you're, you're a f professional filmmaker, you're an amazing all-organic chef, and what was the moment when you encountered this which doesn't seem really part of your portfolio, and yet now you have a company around it. What, what was? What, how did you get inspired? What, what hit you? Do you want the short answer or the long answer? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> We have an so, hour, but... Uh, okay, yeah, well, I mean... Try, yes. Start with a short answer, and then I'll ask more questions, but... Okay. No, no well, I actually did want to be a fashion designer when I was a child, but ah. my passion has always been around sustainability, And I shot a film at a landfill, and that really stuck with me on how much we waste and to do whatever I Not could. Not just fabric, but... Anything, uh -huh, anything. Yeah. Food waste is another sure. one of my things. Yeah. And so uh, several years ago, I got into making clothing for my own children just as a hobby and just fell in love with... I love textile. You know, I wanted to be a fashion designer, so it was no surprise I loved doing this. I was making clothing for my own kids, and I liked what I was making for my kids more than what I found out in the stores. And a shopkeeper in a children's boutique had approached me about a dress that my daughter was wearing and said that she wanted to sell it in her store. And I thought, wow, that's... That's pretty cool. Somebody wants to sell my clothing. But I did the calculations on that because I knew how much time it took me and how much I paid for that fabric. And um, and I was honestly just not even inspired to just start a sure. clothing company. There was no reason to. Until I, I ran into a woman, a designer, a local designer, who goes to India and picks up vintage saris and repurposes them into women's clothing here. Wow. And that really inspired me. And I thought, wow, now the idea of making children's clothing and taking reclaimed textile to do that, now that's, that's something else. And so that's when I started doing research on reclaimed textile. I thought, okay, I don't have to go to India to do that. What's in my own backyard? And that's when I learned about the 15 million tons going to the landfill, and part of that is brand new, and what is this brand new stuff, and that can't happen. But you never see it, right? I mean, it's so funny, 15 million tons, however many genes, but you, you never actually see them. It's great to, to speak in those pictures, but as the average consumer, if we saw it once on the streets, we would be appalled, and yet nobody ever sees this. Yes, of course. Well, that, But that's when, the thing with the la landfill. I mean, of course, that's the thing with trash. Once you go there, exactly. Yes. yes. But, but I mean, if you think about just our relationship with trash anyway, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean. Here's the bin. Here's the bin. Off it goes every Wednesday. Th there's right? a complete disconnect. Done. Yes. yes. I would encourage everybody to go to the landfill. Yeah, once, <laughs> once in their life. Yes. When did you see it, or like when when did you translate the number that you heard into actually looking at fabric waste and saying, "Can I have this?" I visited a factory. Uh, oh, it actually happened. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I visited a cutting factory in uh, San Francisco, and um, they had the estimate is they had probably about 60 tons, six zero tons of cut waste that ended up going to the landfill. I rescued maybe 500 pounds in my car from that um, lot. But when I saw that, and as 
much as I understand the numbers, when you see it, it is, I, I have no words to really articulate what it's like to see that mass I mean, volume and five, knowing that it's going to end up in the landfill. Yeah. And 500 pounds, it, that's a lot of fabric. That, that's a tangible number, 500 pounds. It's uh, a pound, a ton is 2,000 pounds. So 60 tons, it's, it didn't even make a dent. No, I, I made no dent at all. What was the, what, what kind of fabric were you looking at? Most of it was synthetic, black polyester. Cut, cut from where? It, mostly for women's apparel. So you loaded it in your car and yeah. say, I'm going to save this food, this clothing, whatever. I'm going to save this and make something out of it. Did you know you had a company before or did the necessity of dealing with 500 pounds of cut waste in your car all of a sudden make it necessary to have a company? <laughs> Which one was first? <laughs> no, I actually had the concept of Utterly. At you that did. time, I was working on building this very unconventional supply chain. My supply chain was basically going almost like door to door. I was just, you know, cold calling all of these apparel manufacturers in San Francisco and pitching my idea to them and asking them, hey, can I take your cut waste? And three companies out of all the ones that I contacted in that first year said, sure, Please. I think it's a great idea. I mean, you're saving them the collection refuse collection costs, right? Exactly. I mean, in a way, wow, you're even helping the company. Exactly. Sustainable fashion, a beautiful idea for fabric waste. That's our topic here in this hour of an organic conversation. Our guest is Angela Chow, founder and CEO of Utterly, utterly.co, the website. And so you, you had the concept of using... 500 pounds of black synthetic fabric but how much is your design inspired by what you find rather than the other way around i mean are you are you clear in what you want to create and then you look for the right fabric or are you picking up fabric whatever you find and then the design is inspired after that where, where does it meet so now i have relationships with factories and apparel manufacturers and i collect from them on a regular basis and I have no control over what we're picking up. Whatever they're going to have for me is what I have. Do you have a sense now that you have built relationship or relationships, or is it is it really totally random? You just really you just don't know. I have some sense if they are um, producing a, a particular line that is, you know, sort of permanent until uh -huh. they make a change. Yeah. And then I have one one supplier. Well, I call them my partner suppliers. Um, because I look at these companies as a partner in this solving the in this sol in solving of, yeah. the textile waste, and um, and so I have one company that they only um, make culinary garments, and so oh. I have a very constant supply of what I'm going to get from them, and um, and the other manufacturers will change up according to their designs. <sighs> and you have focused your company on kids' clothing. Yes? Yes. Because you were inspired by that comment from the shopkeeper uh, with your daughter, with the design of your daughter, or because it's your fashion, why not adults? Because And it's also fabric waste, so it's easier to use smaller cuts. Is that a pragmatic decision? or? Yeah, so uh, it did start with the idea of having a children's clothing company because of what happened with my daughter's sure. dress. <laughs> um, but in extrapolating from that and, and thinking about this from a business point of view. And actually, the small pieces, they're, they're really not that small. So 
people do assume that, oh, because it's children's clothing, you can take these tiny pieces. They're actually not tiny pieces. We could very easily adapt this to women's apparel. Oh, Oh, absolutely. But my intent was uh, to focus on a segment of the market that has actually very little to offer in terms of sustainable clothing. Um, when we talk about children's sustainable, sustainable children's clothing, it's mostly focused on infant and toddler wear yes. and mostly with, um, with organic fibers. Yeah. Or then there's the organic linen shirt for adults, but there's nothing much in between. Exactly. Right? Exactly. There's nothing for teens, for sure. And, um, and for the youth market that we're focusing on, we basically, just from a business point of view, have to focus on one segment. We can't do it all. Um, my intent, my vision is that we do expand in either direction. And so so you get fabric, you have, how does it work? You have runners who pick it up from, you get a call or you call your partners? What's the practical? So we, we have sort of um, a, like a loose schedule. It could be once a month, maybe biweekly with the different manufacturers. And it also depends on how big their their production uh-huh. is happening. So it's almost like a seasonal thing as well. Um, and, um, and then my designer has this very unconventional, um, very arduous task of creating these designs based on what we get. That's so crazy. I mean, this is like, it reminds me really of amazing chefs who have direct relationships to growers who show up with a pig or who show up with a salmon that they just caught and or whatever. Uh, I have these amazing potatoes and maybe with row crops, you can, you can kind of predict next week what will be. But when it comes to game and fishing and sustainable, you know, seafood and Often, I know Alice Waters from Chepanese, who really defined California farm-to-table cuisine, she opened her window, uh, or, or Margaret Grada comes to mind, uh, of formerly Mancas and now Sir and Star. She literally, what, whoever brings something, they will create a meal out of that. It sounds very much like utterly exactly yeah. where your designer looks at, okay, this is what we got this week. Let's make this kind of dress or these kind of pants. Right. right. Exactly. Really. In fact, I think it <laughs> actually forces you to be a lot more creative, creative yeah. uh, than to kind of fun. think of it in your head and have this blank canvas and go, OK, I'd like to produce this particular print to fulfill this. Instead, it's what am I going to make out of what's in front of me? It also makes the pieces almost uh you know, uh, exclusive pieces. I mean, maybe not just one, maybe you have 20, but you won't see the same sweater uh, a thousand times. Yes, yes. This is, uh, this goes under kind the of category. custom, semi, yeah. yeah? Well, I mean, not custom, but it is, um, we're definitely not mass producing. No. We're doing small <laughs> batches. This is definitely under the category of slow fashion. And, you know, the other, other um, intent on focusing on the youth market what better segment of the market to start educating about yeah, sustainable fashion absolutely. and where their clothing comes from? Because every piece, um, all of the garments, you know, there's a story behind it. Yes. And the story is, it, the lar- much larger story is, well, this fabric actually came from other manufacturers. This is all high quality fabric, by the way. These are San Francisco based um, manufacturers, all high quality fabric. And um, and we are diverting it from ever from being wasted. And what a beautiful kind of message with that to to close a um, or to dress a toddler or you know kid to say this 
clothing that you're wearing right now is actually destroying your future. And this one from Utterly is actually creating your future. (laughs) (laughs) I I like that. Um, You brought some designs, and I realize it's a radio show. Uh, We will put that up on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation and or uh, facebook.com forward slash Utterly. Yes? You have your own Facebook page. Describe a couple of designs. Um, We're looking at a um, kind of yellowish mustard, uh, beautiful, what is that, a boy shirt? This is a boy shirt that we have dyed to be this really wonderful orange color. (laughs) And um, the inspiration I had for the prints on... Kind of a textured fabric, really nice. It is. It looks robust. Yeah, it's a seersucker fabric from one of of our partner suppliers. And I had this inspiration to create these print designs that children would be able to engage with. Um, You know, animals are always just an iconic figure. Not just children. I just watched the Lion King (laughs) on a plane flight back from, from Europe. But... There's a lion on there. Yes, back and, and front. And this line, the story of this um, <laughs> this shirt actually is, I I wanted to focus on not just um, any animal print, but I wanted to highlight the endangered animals list. Ah, and so, there's a story um, in the story in the story. Exactly. So I there's like a it. story, so you can so the child could actually talk about who is this lion. It's not just a lion. It's not just some print on my shirt. And, um, Do you have one with elephants, given the current political climate? That is actually my and, next, my next oh, print. Oh, it is. Okay, <laughs> yes, my next print for sure. Hint, hint. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but this Good. this lion actually is um, is Cecil, and the shirt, the name of the shirt is actually called Cecil. Um, we all, we remember the story of Cecil, right? Beautiful. Um, this and girl's dress is um, oh, is called the Amir dress uh, after the Amir leopard, and the Amir leopard is the the most endangered large species, large cat, cat species, and um, and so this is the Amir leopard. So it's not just you know the leopard is the most iconic, you know, image on on fashion, right? Even for women. Oh, really? But here's well, I think of the leopard. Print, oh yeah, of course. Right, and so here's these wonderful whimsical leopards on a little girl's dress, and she can talk about the Amir leopard, and what it means. And oh, that's so beautiful. So, yeah, so then I have a bunch of other designs that we will be uh, releasing here. Nice. We are speaking of now, you're just about to launch. Your site is actually up, but you're you're officially launching now. How much fabric waste have you already collected? Tons. <laughs> I can't, I can't give a... Uh, Specific. Yeah, I, I can't give a specific. Uh-huh. I, you know, there was one factory that that um, contacted me one day. I get contacts all the time. Of they, factories actually would rather not throw away their fabric. Apparel manufacturers don't want to throw away their fabric. They just don't know what to do with it. They should hire you, honestly, or of course work with you and create a non-waste stream solution that you know helps really everyone exactly which is you know and this is one step in taking this uh, cut waste and producing um, youth clothing there there's a much bigger picture to this um, which we're aspiring to get to but it's one step at a time of course but there was one one factory that had called me one day and said we've got all this very high quality polar tech fleece can you come pick it up and I think I made about five trips to that factory, just loading it up in my hatchback. And I calculated that I had collected probably about a ton 
Amazing. And that is utterly, U-T-T-E-R-L-Y, utterly.co. And that is the founder and CEO of Utterly, Angela Chow. I wish you the absolute best success for Utterly. It's an amazing solution. It's a much needed solution. It's a huge problem. I hope many people spread the word about non-sustainable fashion and the real crisis that it's creating on every level of production from growing the material or producing the material to the way it's produced, uh, dyed, shipped, and then offered and then thrown away either by the stores or by us and the amazing alternative that you are creating with Adelie. So thank you so much for what you do. Thanks for your passion. Thanks for coming in today and Yes, if you're still looking for a, an amazing Christmas gift of for some child that you love in your area, again, are the clothes that we're wearing creating a future or destroying the future? Adelie.co. Thank you, Angela. Pleasure okay. to have you. Thank you. Sustainable fashion, a beautiful idea for fabric waste. And we're moving from sustainable fashion because it is so related to sustainable food. The consumer update from the produce dock of what to buy, how to buy, how to pick and choose it, how to store it. Here is what's in season. And with me now from Earl's Organic Produce is one of Earl's star buyers. It's Christy Biddle. Christy, are you with us? I'm with you, Helga. <laughs> Thanks for being <laughs> on the show. You're an ongoing guest and representative of the entire vast world of produce. How long have you been with Earl? Ten years or something? It will be ten years in Jan or I'm sorry, eleven years in January. So <sighs> yeah, yeah, I know it's amazing. <laughs> well, it's it is your passion for sustainability and organic and produce and food that. Uh, has made this show what it is and the movement what it is. So thank you for all your work and that very passion that is fueling everything you do. And um, we are between the holidays. We had an amazing show with Nicole uh, from Equal Exchange, the executive director, last week about avocado production really around creating an equitable food system, a sustainable food system, and mm -hmm. continuing that conversation. And we talked about bananas and avocados, which I believe is our topic for this week. Yes, it is. I always love to talk avocados. <laughs> so we are between the holidays, and usually avocados was a kind of Super Bowl item. That's where it peaked, and it has become one of the hippest food items or produce items Uh, just like kale two, three, four years ago, now everyone knows about the health benefits of avocados. It's super healthy. It lowers cholesterol, even though it is a really fatty food, but it's totally healthy fat. And you're seeing a, a, a major peak in consumption, yes, in demand. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been really amazing um, in the five years that I've been buying avocados for Earl's to see it take off and grow as a commodity. And I think part of that has been, you know, we started a ripening program here that really assisted with sales for our retailers. But a big part of it, like you said, is that avocados have really been in the spotlight with consumers and really kind of on the cutting edge of the food trends with 
whether it's avocado toast or a chocolate avocado mousse. Um, there are all these new and different ways that people are integrating avocados into um, you know, our daily eating habits. And absolutely, it's been an incredible item to watch grow and become a part of you know, what's everybody's kind of daily eating habits. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it, amazing growth. It, it, wonderful that you say those examples uh, because it was it was really guacamole that was avocado equaled guacamole and completely not anymore. Of course, of course, it is the foundation of guacamole, but people putting them in smoothies now. And, you know, right. if somebody eats drinks dairy, just avocado and dairy mixed together for a much healthier better for you, nutritionally rich, mini quick shake uh, with some vanilla in maybe. I mean, it's uh, avocado is so versatile and so extremely healthy. Yeah. So beautiful. Where are, we, where are we in the production? We, are, we have seen some rain. It's not domestic production anymore anyway, right? Correct. So now we are kind of in, uh, we're in the Mexican avocado season still but we are in the later portion of it. So the first part of the Mexican season over the summer and early fall has light supplies, but the later part of the Mexican season, which we're in right now, the trees were heavily loaded with fruit. So I'm not sure if you've noticed, like the price of avocados in July or August was outrageous. And yeah. it was incredible to still see how many avocados we were selling and how strong the demand was, despite those remarkably high prices. But it has come down to, you know, a little less than half of what prices were then just due to a stronger supply with this later part of the Mexican season. And by the time we get into late December, early January, the first California fruit will begin to be harvested. And the California season this year is going to be about twice as big as it was last year. And believe it or not, that's actually a normal volume. So the last couple years, for different reasons, you know, the California crop has been very light and did unusually early. But this year, we're looking at a really nice crop. Trees are heavily loaded with fruit. So we'll continue with some, you know, kind of getting back to normal prices and really aggressive you know, promotions able to be set up with the stores to just encourage. I, I think it's going to be amazing to see how the avocado movement goes at the stores with prices being, you know, close to half of what they were last year and the growth of the item itself. So yeah, in July or August, I remember the highest highest price I've seen was I think six dollars per pound, like five five something. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Uh, and well, that's what you had to pay. You couldn't find them any uh, less expensive even here in California. And they were wonderful, but just demand. And you're mentioning the ripening process. Now you can find at least not these rock hard avocados anymore that that need a week or longer to ripen on your counter. They're perfectly within two, three days consumption, but the consumption is so high that the prices were outstanding. You're saying right. they're now back to, what, two ninety nine levels? Yeah, I think that they'll definitely be two ninety nine, and once we kind of get into the California season here, we could even, even see some one ninety nine mm. avocados. That will definitely nice. be happening once we kind of get into it. So, yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> A little more accessible. <laughs> and right now, between the holidays, avocado prices, Mexican crop, amazing quality. I've had some avocados. Wow, it couldn't be any creamier and, and flavorful. Yeah. Great item even for the holidays, right? What's your favorite way of, of preparing them or eating them? 
You know, what I actually have enjoyed some um, as we're kind of getting to the end of pomegranate season, I am an avocado toast consumer. <laughs> Every single day I have an avocado toast for breakfast. So I've been enjoying uh, putting a bit of avocado on toast with um, pomegranate arils. So that's kind of my fun little seasonal twist on my avocado toast. Oh, so you have like the creaminess of the avocado and the richness and the fat and then the, yeah. the tartness of um, the, the, how do you call those little pomegranate seeds? Arils. Oh, arils, yes. Yeah. And those are now and available. And the colors really, yeah, yeah of the course. colors for me, I <laughs> love just making any meal beautiful as well as delicious, so the arils just really pop and um I can totally see enjoyable. that, the green <laughs> avocado and the red arils. And the, the arils are now available if you don't want to get all red on your favorite shirt. And they are now available as a single packaged item, right, if you wanted to, just the arils themselves. Exactly, yeah. Some of the pomegranate growers that we've been buying from this year are providing just the arils in a little, you know, plastic container, which is pretty nice. I'll admit for myself, you know, I'm a, um, I love to cook. I thoroughly enjoy pomegranates, but there are some times where I go to the store and I'm like, oh, I'm a, do I really want to deal, you know, take the time to yeah. cut it and pick all of them out? So that's been um, a really fun item for us to offer the last couple of years. Cool. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for that update. And right now, the Mexican crop that you are featuring is Equal Exchange uh, yes. certified. And so look for that label as a follow-up of last week's show and you as the um, widest Bay Area West Coast supplier of uh, amazing organic produce. You are a partner in that work of creating a more sustainable food system, even with Equal Exchange directly as a partnership. So look for Equal Exchange Avocados, uh, brought, brought to you by Earl's Organic Produce, uh, by Christy, in mm -hmm. fact. And uh, thank you for making time right now. I know you guys must be so busy between the holidays, all these food-centric, especially food-centric holidays. I hope you yeah. have a great time making it through. Happy holidays to you, and we'll have you back soon. Thank you, Helga. Great. Always Thanks, a pleasure. Christine. Take care. <laughs> Same here. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Sustainability on your plate and on your skin, from food to fashion. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. Thank you so much for listening Happy holidays, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Speak with you then. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thank you so much for listening. A big thank you also to our associate producer, Kristen Ponger. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Equal Exchange a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at equalexchange.coop. And utterly offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Every garment reduces our eco-footprint by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Utterly, making sustainability fashionable and fashion sustainable. For more information, utterly.co. Also, Earl's Organic Produce 
a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? Anyone can buy directly from Earl's Organic at wholesale prices. The website is earlsorganic.com. And Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine without synthetic sulfites or other preservatives. Family owned and operated since 1980. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. Lastly, thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to anorganicconversation.com or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play so you'll never miss an episode. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, find us on Facebook and Instagram at An Organic Conversation and on Twitter at Talk Organic. I'm Helge Helberg, and we'll be back with another great episode right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then.